America just lost a war. America just lost a war, and they're pretending like this stuff never happened. They're avoiding it. They're moving on. They've already forgotten the 13 American service members whose lives were needlessly, needlessly lost. We have terrorists running an entire country. Terrorists. We went to war with them. They won. We lost. And we see Joe Biden, the president. He humiliated himself. He's helped humiliate our country, damage it. And this is not ancient history. This is a matter of days ago. And the mainstream media, so eager to continue to protect him, to deny reality, and turn the page to talk about this stuff. We continue to hear from the president and the White House linking these severe weather events to climate change and trying to personalize that and add a human element to what's really been a scientific argument and discussion for so long. So expect him to just talk about that. Also expect him, as you mentioned, to use this as an opportunity to talk about his infrastructure plan. There's $500 billion in new spending he is trying to get through Congress. Um, in New Orleans, he talked about how that would go to things I like levy, new water right infrastructure, I don't care. Systems. And you see that nonsense? They're going to, Joe Biden's going to employ the human component, the empathy, right? Where did that get us? Where did that get us? Folks, we have smoking gun proof that Joe Biden lied to all of us, probably lied to the government and who knows who else. That's the Afghan president, former Afghan president, Ghani. And quite frankly, I'm starting to see things his way. I feel like he was screwed by Joe Biden. And now, well, he might have, I don't want to call it the last laugh, but maybe the last word. Have you seen this? A transcript of a phone call between Joe Biden and the president of Afghanistan back in July. I need not tell you the perception that things aren't going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. And there's a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. How about that? Whether it is true or not. Now, it wasn't true. The Taliban, in fact, was gaining the upper hand. The narrative, the picture, the story doesn't matter, Joe. The facts on the ground do. Forget about the narrative. You had a chance to change the facts, and you didn't. President Ghani responds to Joe Biden, this transcript uncovered by Reuters, by the way, President Ghani says to the president, Mr. President, we are facing a full-scale invasion composed of Taliban, full Pakistani planning and logistical support, and at least 10 to 15,000 international terrorists, predominantly Pakistanis, thrown into this. Ghani asks for help, specifically. Next, Ghani talks about military hardware. What is crucial is close air support. We have prioritized that. If it could be at all front-loaded, we will greatly appreciate it. Now, close air support at that point was essentially gone and wasn't coming back. Close air support is very effective. You need people on the ground directing planes in the air. The bad guy is over there. Go kill it. That's how close air support works. And without that, you could have an army of 500,000, a million, would be incredibly, incredibly vulnerable. So 
President Biden is not under a whole lot of pressure right now, kind of surprisingly so. Um, no one's really demanding answers of what really happened here. Uh, he is blaming Ghani, the Afghan president, though. Take a look. When I spoke by phone to Ghani in July, we had very frank conversations. We talked extensively about the need for Afghan leaders to unite politically. They failed to do any of that. I also urged them to engage in diplomacy, to seek a political settlement with the Taliban. This advice was flatly refused. Mr. Ghani insisted the Afghan forces would fight, but obviously he was wrong. He, from what we've seen in the transcript, Joe Biden is lying. No surprise there, we have documented proof of him lying every step of his career. Very early on, the guy is a, why would he stop now? Why would he stop now? But here's where I'm just shocked. Why does the mainstream media continue to cover for this guy when it can't get any worse, but they pretend that all is well? He has gone out throughout this and he has spoken directly uh, to the American people several times. He's mm -hmm. taken responsibility. He's explaining things. I think that's going to stand him well over time. If, if, if that were eroding, mm -hmm. then I think you might see a more permanent slide. But, you know, I, I don't think it's time to conclude that, that the presidency is hobbled. The presidency, quite frankly, should be crippled and people should be calling for impeachment, impeachment hearings at least. The president came forward and uh, took responsibility. No, he didn't. He blamed Trump. The president, we have, again, proof that he lied throughout all of this and the media want to just say everything's fine. The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the if, troops will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if, there are American force, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. The consensus was that it was highly unlikely that in 11 days they'd collapse and fall and the leader of Afghanistan would flee the country. My predecessor, the former president, signed an agreement with the Taliban. Passing the buck, uh, being wrong, and being dishonest. And they say this is okay. So obviously, they blew it. They blew it. They blew the strategy. They blew the tactics. They blew the planning. And this is a loss. This is a loss. He even messed up the stuff that he's supposed to be good at. Empathy. The counselor in chief. Remember all that stuff during the campaign? This phony moment with the kid who stuttered and suddenly Joe Biden was a lifelong stutterer. That myth, that political myth, Joe Biden and his legendary empathy. There's nobody in this race who is a bigger difference from Donald Trump than Joe Biden. He's a man of character. He's a man of empathy. This <laughs> campaign is going to be a contrast between a man with empathy and a man with no empathy. What I saw from Joe Biden tonight was someone who showed empathy, someone who understands where we are in America. That empathy, that decency, the belief that everybody counts, that's who Joe is. Your empathy has become a trademark of your presidency. So this is actually the big lie. 
This is the big lie, that Joe Biden is a nice guy, has empathy, cares about people. He does not, and we are seeing that in dramatic form. The bodies coming home from overseas, 13 of them in caskets, flag draped, somber, reverential, and Joe Biden just can't wait to get out of there. He checked his watch. Not once, not twice, at least three times documented, documented on video and still pictures. This is not fake news. This is not a conspiracy theory. This actually happened. I've been on job interviews where I wouldn't look at my watch. I've been at dinner. I would not look at my watch. He does it in the middle of this. There's something quite wrong. There is. But what is possibly worse, the fake news, never have they been, never has their phoniness been more apparent that they would cover for this calamity and Joe not bringing it when it comes to empathy. That somber ceremony I just showed you, the fake news lied about it. President Joe Biden honoring the fallen. The remains of U.S. service members killed this week in Kabul, arriving home to the United States in flag-draped cases. He and the First Lady, along with the Secretaries of Defense, State, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, gathered with mourning families at Dover Air Force Base for hours. Spent hours with the mourning families. We just saw the moments with the watch. No mention. No mention. You know, they killed George H.W. Bush about looking at his watch during a debate in 1992. Stayed with the families for hours. Have you heard by now what the families said about that meeting? That Joe was grossly self-absorbed, bringing up Bo Biden when he should have been focused on the families and their loss? That was a terrible, terrible meeting, apparently. No word. They're just going along with it. They can fool themselves. They can't fool us. Joe Biden in an effort to change the subject, went to New Jersey, which saw some pretty serious storm damage. It was a photo op, uh, but he got a big dose of what some people are thinking of when they're not thinking about the weather. Those people, whoever they are, yelling out at the president, bless them. They should be, because the media won't. They're so invested in this guy to protect him. This kind of thing will happen again if we don't find out what happened and have some accountability here, right? And are we going to get that from the military? Are we going to get that from the military? Mm, maybe. But first, we've got to get rid of this guy. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white. And I want to understand it. So when he was trying to understand white rage and showing off to his liberal masters, he should have been focused on what was happening in Afghanistan. And there's clear evidence that he was not, that he was not. There are only so many hours in the day, you know, you can, you can focus on your job, the military, or focus on being woke. You can't necessarily do both. I don't think you can. And by the way, the lie that Joe Biden told, uh, hey, President Ghani, you and I have got to get on the same 
uh, lie. General Milley jumped on the phone as well. Take a look at this from Reuters, the transcript. The perception, this is General Milley with the president of Afghanistan, July 23rd. The perception in the United States, in, in Europe, and the media sort of thing is a narrative of Taliban momentum and a narrative of Taliban victory. And we need to collectively demonstrate and try to turn that perception, that narrative, around. What the hell is a general worried about narrative? Narrative, a story. A general should be concerned about lethality, the enemy, our guys, force protection, military stuff. Narrative, narrative. And this is the general who says he thought about resigning after this moment. Remember the walk across the street with the president? He was so mortified, he almost resigned, almost resigned. That would have been a big phony baloney audition to be Secretary of Defense under a Democrat, by the way. Um, if he thought about resigning for this, he should definitely resign now. Don't you think this is far more serious? But getting back to what I was talking about, there's only so many hours in the day. Look at what the Pentagon is saddled with right now. Some of the ancillary issues, okay? They gotta worry about climate change. They gotta worry about Women's History Month. These are things that are now on their list. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. They even have a, an abbreviation, an acronym, DEI. It pervades everything they do right now. They must consider diversity, equity, inclusion. Extremism in the ranks, finding, finding those white supremacists who are out there. LGBTQ recruitment, that's a biggie. And don't forget trans rights, trans rights, of course. These things are taking up time, money, attention. I got to show you this. Right when we were losing our troops in Afghanistan, the sergeant major of the army, somebody named Grinston, actually put out this statement, all right? Diversity is a number. Do you have people that don't look or think like you in the room? Inclusion is listening and valuing those people. Women's Equality Day. Um, and he's the top soldier, one of them, in all of the army, all of it. And this is a trend with this guy and so much of military leadership these days. A few months ago, a uh, very strange army officer got into a nasty confrontation with cops. The soldier was totally in the wrong. When the cops tell me to get out of the car, I do. When the cops put their lights and sirens on, I pull over. This guy drove for a mile and a half. And then what happened? What's going on? How many occupants are in your vehicle? It's only myself. Why are your weapons drawn? What's going on? Open the door slowly and step out. Open the door. I'm not getting out the vehicle. What's going on? Get out the car. He just stays there. He blows off law enforcement issuing legitimate commands. This guy, again, drove away from the cops as they were attempting to pull him over. Grinston, the top soldier I just told you about, after this went down and became public, what did he say about this matter? Well, he said this. He represented himself and our army well through his calm, professional response to the situation. I'm very proud of him. That soldier was arrested, by the way, that night for his incredibly irresponsible actions. He should not be in uniform. So all this uh, looking at uh, equity, inclusion, diversity, trans, all this stuff, 
I don't think anybody in the Army's leadership is really focused on the mission. Take a look at this from the Army's chief of training. Uh, kind of a nice sentiment, sort of. This picture is worth a thousand words, thanks to these American heroes. Spelled heroes wrong, by the way, and also those aren't American heroes. Those are British heroes. She got that wrong. She couldn't notice that these guys are not our guys. They're allies, but they're not wrong country. Right now, Milley and Austin, General Milley and Secretary Austin, they must go, but I don't think they will because jettisoning these guys will acknowledge failure and they're committed, Joe Biden is, to <laughs> classifying Afghanistan as a success. It's not. You know that and I know that. And it's so ridiculous, so tragic, so sad. We are almost at the 20-year anniversary for 9-11. I was here in New York on that day when people jumped from the towers. People jumped from these towers instead of enduring the hell that was going on inside. And isn't it, I don't know, ironic, wild, that 20 years later, people are still jumping, fleeing from American airplanes this time. I can't let this go, and I know you can't either. The media are committed to turning the page. We won't let them. We have to do our part. It's worth it. I'll be right back. Bob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. Is, is that, that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They don't. So, Afghanistan, the Taliban back in charge, a bunch of crazy terrorists uh, running the country. What is this going to be like? Uh, oh, they have an announcement. The new defense minister is Khalil Haqqani. Uh, he's the guy waving in this picture. Uh, Khalil uh, Haqqani, mm, he's known to American law enforcement, State Department, you name it. In fact, there is a $5 million bounty on the guy's head for various terror activities over the past uh, 15 to 20 years. How about that? Um, the Taliban are thriving on social media. You know they're active on Twitter, they make announcements about Mr. Uh, Haqqani and his new job and uh, when their next press conference is. Just a quick reminder, Donald Trump is still off of Twitter. Isn't this totally, totally insane? There is way too much power, we all know by this point. Uh, big tech. These guys are too powerful. Altogether, they are more important than most of the world's leaders. At times, they are more important, more powerful than even an American president. They certainly have far more latitude. And that is driving some of us really, really crazy. These guys and their friends seem to be setting all the rules, all these woke rules, by the way, which are impossible at times to figure out. Although, 
I got a few clues. Let's take Joy Reid, MSNBC. She is now hosting a show over there in prime time. Do you know there is a documented track record of her saying some very vile things about gay people online? Very, very homophobic uh, comments. It's out there. It's her. And she remains. She can do that job. Meanwhile, the poor guy who had his big break to host the Jeopardy show, him, you know, he lost that job, and I still can't figure out, I still can't find the horrible things that he said, that he's alleged to have said. It's very murky, actually. Not only is he not going to be the host, he's not going to work there anymore. He used to be the executive producer. That's over. How about Chris Harrison? Uh, he hosted The Bachelor. You know, he's gone because for a moment he took sympathy on a previous contestant who showed up at a Southern-themed party in an old-fashioned dress. He decided to defend her, and they canceled him for that. Uh, but these rules are not consistent. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, who is being as woke and liberal as they come lately, you know, he was caught doing blackface at one point, but that's okay, I guess, because he's so woke and liberal, and wh why is this okay? And Megyn Kelly, remember when she briefly entertained for a half second that maybe somebody wearing a Diana Ross costume in 1982 might not be a bad person? They chased her out of the building when she said that. The rules are changing, and what they're trying to do, by the way, it's not just about celebrities. They're trying to scare rank-and-file ordinary people into behaving and voting in a certain way. We can't let them win, all right? Remember, it's not just, it's not about celebrities. This is about the rest of us. It is. All right, so there was a big football game this weekend, Georgia versus Clemson. Georgia, the dogs won 10 to 3. Good for them. Um, so a reporter down there in Georgia was covering the game, and uh, the fans were a little bit too exuberant for her taste. Look at what she tweeted, all right? Uh, it's something else. After the first guy touched me, I started rolling. This isn't even all of it. So uncomfortable. Can we please respect people's space. All right. I'm going to show you the whole clip. All right. It's actually funny. I love the fans here. Her, I'm not so crazy about. Hello. I just love it. I love the fans. I love the exuberance. She sets up in the corridor right off the, you know, in the stadium. And she complains about those people invading her space. You can see the chip on her shoulder from here. And in that tweet, she says, oh, somebody touched me. Give me a break. All right. Somebody bumped into her. The touch is a very loaded word. The guy bumped into her. I think we can show that for a moment. So lighten up, shall we? And by the way, wasn't it cool? 
there were some celebrities there. Uh, I think I saw Mitt Romney's younger, cooler cousin. Doesn't that look like Mitt Romney? Who else uh, showed up? Was this um, John Travolta, possibly? It looked a little bit like John Travolta to me. Uh, was that Craig Melvin from the Today Show? It looked a little bit like him. I think I saw Donald Trump there for a moment, just a little bit. Was that Trump in the white shirt? Um, look, uh, I don't think. She represents so much of the fake news to me. Condescending, elitist, uh, I'm important, you're not, and also buried in her phone. Did you notice that? The news is sometimes all around you. Reporters have to roll with it sometimes, like this guy. His name is Donnelly, back in 1984. How that crowd went nuts over what had happened. These people are trying to outdo them. You know, I think they felt coming into this that they had to help the team turn around. I'm having a hard time here. Uh, I think they managed to do it. Hold on, hold on. This is a great piece of life insurance. These people made the difference tonight. They had the first wave in the street. I love it. I love it. I'm sure he got touched, but he wasn't touched. You know what I mean? That word is so... I like it. His name is Bob Donnelly, and that's the way to do it. I'll be right back. Who's the opposite? Do you want your house back? Take it! I was taking a tactical stance. You're ultimately hoping that your commands will be complied with, and unfortunately, they were not. When you fired, what could you see? Where were you aiming? You're taught to aim for center mass. Uh, the subject was sideways, and I could not see her full motion of her hands or anything. Um, so I guess her movement, you know, caused the uh, discharge to, to fall where it did. And what did you think this individual was doing at that, at that moment? She was posing a threat. No, sir. Not at all. Uh, the final word on Ashley Babbitt, um, we haven't heard it yet because Lieutenant Byrd's description of what he did, why he did it, how he did it to Ashley Babbitt, it's not adding up. And people are noticing law enforcement from across the spectrum are starting to weigh in. This moment when he pulled the trigger, and you just heard there that he could not see her hands. He also said that she wasn't obeying his commands. There's no evidence that he was issuing any commands. The Babbitt family is preparing, we believe, a lawsuit against the Capitol Police, and there are a lot of experts weighing in that Officer Byrd there, Lieutenant Byrd, um, he's done the other side here some favors with that explanation. Stay tuned. Also this, the Horns guy, did you hear? He is set to be sentenced in November, I believe. He pleaded guilty to a number of charges. I still don't get it. This guy is facing maybe three to four years in prison. And he did not hurt anyone, and he did not break anything. The treatment of those arrested in the aftermath of January 6th has been shockingly unfair. And it's just amazing that, quite frankly, it's the two of us, Breitbart, a few others, who have been sounding the alarm here that what is happening is totally 
un-American. You know, the Black Lives Matter protesters, looters, rioters, virtually no prosecutions, none. Charges here in New York dropped against hundreds, hundreds. There are people who firebombed, attempted to kill police officers who are home right now and safe. Isn't that crazy? And you know what? I would like to actually have a 9-11, I'm sorry, a January 6th commission, 9-11 style commission, because there are things that we don't know about the decisions made by the Capitol Police. Like, who threw the flash grenades into the crowd and why? So we got this clip off of social media. All the words, all the signage, all the um, typography there. We didn't do that. Somebody else did. But it's interesting because raises the question, did the Capitol Police start the riot? There was like a, a standoff that seemed to be almost diminishing intention. And then somebody threw a flash grenade into the crowd. Why do they do that? And take a look at this. They seem to be beating somebody up, possibly without provocation. We haven't seen a half a percent of the video from that day in the security cameras. Why not? Why not? So there are questions to ask and that should be answered about that day. All right. I want to talk about some strange pictures of uh, Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. Not this picture. This is a normal picture. But one day they uh, went to some art studio and hired a photographer to take a picture like this. They went to a studio and hired a photographer to take this picture. When I went to a studio the last time as a kid, we took this picture. We went to Sears, okay? Uh, but when Joe went with Hunter, they took that kissing picture and then this picture. It's a pretty intense picture. Why are they doing that? Why could they be doing this? You know what it is? I believe, just a theory here, it's a commercial. It is a commercial. If you want to get close to Joe Biden, get close to Hunter. Rudy Giuliani, who will be here in a little bit, called Hunter, and I think with probable cause, the bag man for the family. Hmm? Who else? What, these pictures make no sense otherwise. Something to think about. You know, it's not just Rudy Giuliani. Do you remember Tony Bobolinsky? He talked about Hunter Biden, tried to do business with him, and also... Uh, the brother, James Biden, got involved, and they had an arrangement to get money into the family, but they did it in a pretty clever way. With me asking out of concern, how are you guys doing this? Aren't you concerned that you're going to put your brother's you know, future presidential campaign at risk? Um, you know, the Chinese, the stuff that you guys have been doing already in 2015 and 2016 around the world. And uh, I just can almost picture his face where he sort of chuckles and says, you know, plausible deniability. So he said this is a man who's been drafting off his brother's political career for almost 50 years. He said to your face, essentially, we're, we're lying about it. Uh, uh, anyone uh, watching this interview can look up what plausible deniability means. Yeah. Plausible deniability. It's happening, but I don't necessarily know it's happening, but I know it's happening. Something to think about. Okay, also this. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. 
Black lives matter. They do matter. Not in the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. No. Lives matter. White lives, black lives, and the life of Michael Moultrie, just four years old, shot and killed Friday night in Chicago. Now, he's originally was originally from Alabama, but was in Chicago visiting his father. Moultrie was inside his father's house getting a haircut when he was hit in the head by two stray bullets that came through the window. No suspects. Police don't have any leads. Chicago's police chief had a very honest, very powerful message to the community that's been plagued by gun violence. From a personal standpoint, then professional, uh, being a person of color, being a black man, uh, many of these offenders and victims are, are people of color. Uh, it's too high a number. It, it is unacceptable. You know, where the hell is Barack Obama? Seriously. He is the prestige. He could, he could possibly broker a peace between gangs, but that's not going to happen. A GoFundMe page has been set up in Michael Moultrie's name to raise awareness and seek justice. A total of five people were killed and 53 others wounded by gunfire over Labor Day weekend in Chicago. Michael Moultrie was the youngest, again, just four years old. I'll be right back. We are not oppressed. We can do all of this because we live in an incredible country, America, that offers us limitless possibilities for all people whom are willing to dream and work hard. That is why I love this country. And that is why I oppose critical race theory and anything that resembles it. That is Kayla Dunn, a mom from Idaho, speaking at a special education task force meeting in Boise, Idaho, speaking boldly, speaking powerfully. And we've seen men and women across the country uh, from all walks of life just stepping forward and going there and doing it in spectacular fashion. Kayla Dunn, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. We're thrilled to have you. Um, you were speaking very boldly. What was the reaction to what you were saying? And do me a favor also, what was the purpose of that meeting? So critical race theory has been technically banned here in Idaho. However, there have been several teachers on record that has vowed to teach critical race theory. What we're also seeing is that critical race theory is being rebranded under social emotional learning. So they wanted to unpack all of the language that's used to describe critical race theory. Uh, they wanted to have evidence presented to see if it was indeed being taught in the schools. And so that was the reason for the task force. And Kayla, when you get up there and you, uh, you say your piece, are you being well-received? Are, uh, are you meeting with resistance? What's, what's the reaction to you? Well, you know, there, was, there were opponents and proponents. Um, some of the task force or most of the task force, they were, they were very, they were moved, sorry, by my speech, and it was well received. And then we also had some uh, people that, that, that were there, mostly agitators, uh, that did not like what I had to say. Um, they didn't come out and say anything about it, um, but they were not very supportive. Uh, you have how many kids right now in school? I have a total of five children. Four of them are in school or 
technically three children are in school and the youngest one is in uh, preschool. I want to play more from your your presentation before this education task force. I believe that CRT is the new Jim Crow. This is the new form of segregation and my family will not stand for it. That is something else. That is really, I, it's music to my ears. But let me yeah. go there. Uh, there are some people out there, a lot of people in the mainstream mm -hmm. media or elsewhere, who think that because you look the way you do, you're supposed to think a certain way. Um, you've encountered that, I'm sure. All the time, all the time. I'm supposed to think, feel, and speak the way that they want me to, and I do not. I am not going to fit in anyone's category. This is the new Jim Crow, and I say that because I don't understand why they're trying to take us back into segregation. I don't understand why they think it's okay to categorize us people, whether we're black or brown or white. Um, we should not be placed in any categories. We need to be, we need to feel like we're equal. We need to feel like we're valued. And placing us in the category as being inferior is not going to make us feel like we're valued. Kayla Dunn, we value you and what you have done and what you are doing. Our best to your children. And let's stay in touch because, as you know, this fight is not over. Uh, Kayla, no. not at all. Not at all. And uh, it looks like the other side, well, uh, I have a feeling that um, you're going to be speaking to an even broader audience very, very soon. Kayla Dunn, we appreciate it so much to be continued, okay? Thank you so much, and I appreciate you for having me. You bet. We'll be right back. September 11, 2001, 20 years ago this Saturday. Where were you? Do you remember? I was here in New York, and I remember well, and actually much of the world remembers well, just the spectacular leadership that Mayor Rudy Giuliani provided this city, and in many ways, the entire country. He was everywhere he needed to be. Um, all the time, he seemed to be just working 24-7 in the days that came next. And he also said and did the right thing so, so consistently. Um, I remember this. This was just hours after the attacks. I was in a hospital waiting room, and, and Rudy Giuliani, the mayor, was on TV. Do we know the number of casualties at this point, sir? I don't, I don't think we, we really want to speculate about that. The number of casualties will be more than any any of us can bear ultimately. And I don't think we want to speculate on the number of casualties. The effort now has to be to save as many people as possible. You know, I remember at the time, all kinds of people were estimating 50,000, you know, the capacity of the World Trade Center is this, and there could be more than any of us can bear. Uh, Rudy Giuliani joins us once again, America's mayor. Uh, Mr. Mayor, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? I'm good, Greg. How are you? Very good. And again, thank you for the leadership that you showed on that day. And I think too many people have forgotten, number one, the attacks, what it meant for us, and also your contributions. Um, you led not only this city, but this country. And um, so many were so appreciative. What are your thoughts right now as we approach 9-11? Well, my thoughts always are very complicated because it was a horrible, horrible day. Probably the worst day of my life. And in many ways, it was a great day because of the heroism and the way in which the country came together 
particularly the heroism of the firefighters and the police officers. So many situations of people running into the building when everybody else was running out. And they conducted a truly spectacular rescue effort. And like when I was going to, if I, if I, if I had answered that question you were showing before, I probably would have said over 6,000 people because that was the best estimate the Port Authority could make of the number of people in the building and the number you could get out in the time they had. So they actually, you know, they actually got out 3,000 more people than they were expected to. And the 9-11 Commission noted that in their report. They said that the firefighters and police officers saved everyone they could conceivably save, and they commended them for one of the best rescue efforts ever. Well, when people were speculating, I remember the speculation, and I think I even heard the number 6,000, but when you said more than any of us can bear, you know, I want to actually ask you this, because even your critics gave you a huge um, credit, compliments for what you did, how you did it that day in the aftermath. And part of it, let's face it, you're a cantankerous mayor. I mean, you know, you were, to get the job done, you had to be forceful. You weren't everybody's friend. But that day, you know, you, you surprised a lot of people. Did you surprise yourself at all? No. No, no, I didn't. I mean, I always, um, you're right. I had to be, I knew, I knew from the time that I became mayor that it was going to be a real struggle because I was doing everything different. Every single thing I did, there'd be tremendous institutional uh, uh, opposition to. I knew as a Republican that, at least the, the New York Times was going to go after me every opportunity they could. Uh, so I knew it was a struggle, and therefore I would have to be tough. But, you know, what they missed was uh, every time there was a situation like this before, I acted exactly the same way. We, we had to deal with Flight 800, and I think the people there will tell you that we dealt with them in a very sensitive and a I think a really very humane way. The media, let's face it, they can be very wrong, very wrong. And they have been wrong about you. And uh, uh, but they got it right. One beautiful, brief, shining <laughs> moment when they made you man of the year back when it meant something at Time magazine for the leadership you provided this city. And uh, I remain grateful. September 11th, 2001, the 20th anniversary is this Saturday. We'll continue the conversation. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor, for dropping by. We'll, uh, to be continued. Well, thank you, Greg, and God bless you. All the best. Thank you. Be right back. Thank you. Tell your friends about what we're doing here at Newsmax. And stand by for Stinchfield. See you tomorrow. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course. Present my thoughts the way I want. Right again. Now. 
You're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. All our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.